The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Glad you're joining me today as we are uh, perhaps going to have our last podcast on perfect peace. And uh, this might be an abbreviated version, but uh, we want to address the fact that obtaining peace means that uh, God wants us to enter into an exclusive relationship with him, and it's by choice. We have to choose to enter into an exclusive relationship with God. Peace is attainable. As I mentioned before, peace is a commodity that everyone wants. From the man at the uh, top of the success ladder to the average person on uh, the local street corner, everyone everywhere wants peace of mind, peace of heart. Peace is offered. It, 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 as I mentioned before, it cannot be attained by pursuit. We can't uh, apply some methodology and get peace. It can't be purchased. It can't be fabricated in one's mind uh, the way a child fabricates a fairy tale uh, or a story, uh, something in the imagination. Every Christian grace must be granted and bestowed by God. For example, when someone does us some kindness, that is a volitional act. People offer kindness as a blessing of their free will. And we choose to take uh, advantage, if you will, of their kind offering. So too with peace. It must be offered. God offers it. And it must be received. When we think of, uh, as I mentioned before, earthly commodities such as gold, for example, uh, gold is a, an inanimate thing, uh, an object, uh, uh, a noun, if you will. And gold must be uh, unearthed, refined, and presented uh, as a precious commodity, as a gift. Food, as I mentioned before, is also a commodity. It doesn't give of itself. Food must be prepared and must be presented. Uh, it may originate in the earth as plant life or on the earth as animal life. And if it's plant life, it must be 
buried perhaps as in the form of a seed and grown and harvested. Then it undergoes a transformation when we add heat and spices and so forth, and we offer it to someone for consumption. Uh, and similarly with animal life, it, it has to be raised and prepared, slaughtered, cooked, and so forth uh, in a savory way and then presented to someone. And so when we think of peace, this is a matter or uh, an offering of exclusivity. And we must choose to receive it based on exclusive terms. Here's the challenge as I see it. The challenge is twofold. Uh, as I mentioned, exclusivity and choice. We want the accoutrements of walking with God. We want victory in trial. We want peace in the midst of uh, anxiety-causing events. We want answers to prayer. We want health and all its associated benefits. We are, however, unwilling to adhere to the requirements of this exclusive relationship. And, and what are these requirements? Well, holiness. I think in the book of Hebrews, we are told, without holiness, no man will see God. Holiness is mandatory in this exclusive relationship. Secondly, fidelity to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven's cause. Jesus could say in Matthew chapter 6, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, you know, the things what we shall wear, what we shall eat and so forth, uh, all these things will be added to you. Add to that list adherence to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The death, burial and resurrection message of Christ, which having believed and received the spirit of God, regenerates the human spirit. Involvement in and the building up of the body of Christ, helping Christians to grow and live as Christians. And walking in this narrow way. The Lord Jesus mentioned that the way that leads to life is a narrow way. And our Lord Jesus is the chief proponent of this way. In fact, he pointed to himself as the way. So when we examine these distinctives, we find that they constrain us. They constrain us that if we are wanting peace from God in the midst of life's circumstances, we must recognize that we are called into an exclusive relationship in which we embrace the things that God considers important. We too must consider them important. We want the benefits of this way, fruitfulness in life, as, as the Lord Jesus taught in John 15. We want enjoyment of the deep things of God, as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in the first chapter. We want joy in the midst of trouble, as Paul can write to the church at Philippi in the fourth chapter. We want all these benefits, but we want it without the commitment. But God wants the commitment, which ensures 
the benefits. And ultimately, that leads us to the second challenge. And the second challenge is that of choice. Now, I want to repeat this thought. We want the benefits. We want peace of mind in a troubled time. We want fruitfulness. We want to enjoy the the, uh, deep things of God. We want joy in the midst of trial. We want the benefits without committing to an exclusive relationship of walking with God, but God wants our commitment, which ensures that the benefits will be ours. And so, the second hurdle, the second challenge, is that of choice. We do not want to be compelled to have to choose. Choice relegates us to relinquishing certain benefits in order to acquire others. And the problem with choice is we want all the benefits and none of the losses. But if we choose the narrow way, this way that the Lord Jesus calls us to, this way of cross-bearing, this way where he is the truth, the way, the life, where he's the door, he's the vine, then we must relinquish all other ways, however important we deem them to be. Sometimes we find ourselves attracted to the methodologies of our day, the belief systems of our day, which promise certain benefits, but the devotees of these various approaches are not exactly the greatest examples that these approaches work. They cannot guarantee peace. They cannot guarantee peace. Whereas the promises associated with the Lord Jesus Christ and his way has been proven to be effective, verifiable, and uh, exemplified in the lives of the patriarchs of the Old and the New Testament. So, for our purposes, let's boil this down to simple keys that we can apply these truths in a very direct and, and simple way. Here's the key. Here's the sum of the matter. Here's the crux of the issue, the secret, if you will. And it's no secret because it's already in the word of God. But here's the secret to walking with God. We are told in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 that the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him in uh, chapter 15, verse 2, Jehovah is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Let me read that again. Jehovah is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake 
you. So the essence of what Azariah was telling King Asa is that there needs to be, and I want you to hear this, there needs to be a continual turning of the heart to God. Azariah is telling Asa that God is found when he and we resort to him repeatedly, time after time, in spite of the circumstances, wherever we are, whatever the event, no matter who we are with, in any circumstance, in every circumstance, if it is a good circumstance, if it is a bad circumstance, or anywhere in between, we are making a concerted, sustained habit of resorting to God. We turn our hearts to God anywhere and everywhere. And this, my friends, is the secret to perfect peace. We are making a concerted, sustained habit of resorting to God, turning to God. We turn to God with our whole hearts, anywhere, everywhere. This is the secret to perfect peace. Here's another important part of the same truth. God mirrors our devotion. God mirrors our devotion. Closely associated with this first truth of making a concerted, sustained habit of resorting to God is the fact that God awaits my action. God awaits your action. God is waiting for you and me to turn and to do so repeatedly. And as we do so uh, uh, repetitively, in each moment that we turn to him, he turns to us. He says, while you are with him, this is what Azariah said to uh, uh, Asa, while you are with him, he is with you. And my friends, many of us have a lackluster relationship with God because it is our habit to forsake him for other pleasures. And the instant, the very instant we turn away from God to a secondary pleasure, in that very instant he hides himself from our spirit. We have as much of God as we want, and he gives us according to the measure of our desire for him. Azariah said, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And we live in an age when people are inundated with so many pleasures and they want the peace of God and cannot figure out, understand, or, or comprehend, why don't I have peace? It's really very simple. God awaits my action. 
He waits for me to choose. God is waiting for me and you to turn to him and to do so repetitively. And as we, again, do so every moment, each moment we turn to him, he turns to us. And he says, while you are with him, this is what, again, I'm, I'm repeating this because it's of vital importance. Azariah said to King Asa, while you are with him, he is with you. But I says, as I said, many of us will only have as much of God as we want. And he, he himself gives us according to the measure of our desire for him. So if you only want 10% of God and that's all you're prepared to invest, that's all you're going to get. <laughs> and then secondly, in the midst of crisis, the second component to experiencing peace is similar to the first. In time of trouble, turn to God. Turn to the Lord first. Turn to the Lord wholeheartedly. Turn to the Lord with an expectation and a desire to have him and him alone deliver you. In First Chronicles, uh, 2 Chronicles 15.4, in fact, I may have said that earlier, First Chronicles, but I'm referring to Second to, uh, Chronicles. Um, Azariah said to uh, uh, King Asa, but in their trouble, that is referring to the nation of Israel, they turned to Jehovah, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found of them. Now, this is the absolute divine assurance that when I turn to God and keep turning to God about the matter that troubles my heart, he assures me he will allow himself to be found. The trouble is when we encounter challenge or trial, we typically will turn to God once. And then we are lulled into thinking that the one-time turning, this one-time event of turning to God is all-sufficient, and it is not. That's not the case. We must continually resort to him as long as the trouble exists. We must demonstrate by our continual turning to God, that we are dependent upon him, upon his grace, upon his power, upon his presence, upon himself as our peace. And then King Asa is given one final exhortation by Azariah. He says to him, be firm, be strong. In other words, Press into this effort. Apply yourself. Strengthen yourself in the pursuit of God. Don't, in other words, based on the original languages, don't let your hands droop. <laughs> don't relinquish the effort. Let there be no abating of one's efforts. Do not, I say, abandon the pursuit. Don't abandon the pursuit of God, not during the time of crisis. And he assures him there is a reward for this consistency. 
And I say to you, my brothers and sisters, you will obtain the very thing that you are pursuing. You will obtain the reward. Remember, peace cannot be planted. It can't be harvested. It can't be cultivated like livestock. It must be offered and received. It must be consumed by the, the regenerated human spirit. And so the question regarding peace, perfect peace, is this. Who or what is the source of it? Where does it reside? What is its origins? Who commands this resource? You know, if, if I may make a left turn, when, when our Lord Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? We are told in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 22, uh, uh, Jesus said, I believe uh, it was perhaps one of, the, one of the lawyers that asked him the question. But he said to him, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And I think in Mark's gospel, they add with all your strength. And my friends, this, this loving of God <laughs> with all of our being is a call into an exclusive relationship. This is a call to the human entity to enter into a relationship with God where the sum of our devotion is centered on him. Now, some with twisted minds will say, well, God is being selfish and he's demanding all of the allegiance and all the worship and you know, assuming or asserting that God has a problem because he demands our worship. But remember, we are coming to an infinite God who offers his infinite self and an infinite love backed by an infinite power, an infinite wisdom, infinite might, infinite dominion, infinite blessing. God calls us to an exclusive relationship. And the greatest gift that a human being can possess is that of friendship with God. But we must choose it. God reveals his heart. And this king, King Asa, unlike the kings before him and the kings after him, I think he got it. He, in this event of facing this million-man army, he saw it. He, he captured the essence, the truth, of who and what the heart of God is towards his people, and he responded to that. And what we learn about the nature of God is that God is eager to help. We find that in verse 11. As he says uh, in the, the prior chapter, chapter 14, he says, it makes no difference to Jehovah whether we have a large army or a small army. He says, we, in verse 11, we rely on you. That's the heart's disposition. He was convinced in heart and mind that God revealed a very uh, a a basic truth about himself. He's committed to his people. 
And so King Asa could say, we are relying on you. And I say to you, my brothers and sisters, that you and I must tell God that we are trusting him. But you can't tell him with a half heart. You've got to be looking to God singly. And he says to him, in your name, we have come against this multitude. And so we learn in verse 12 that Jehovah smote the armies of the Ethiopians. And Asa, leading Benjamin and Judah, those two tribes, saw the victory with their own eyes. The very circumstances that were against them had been overthrown, and numbers were irrelevant. This multitude, a million men and 300 chariots, were overturned. They were outnumbered almost two to one. And so I say to you, my friends, grace, God's grace, is available to every one of us. And though they were outnumbered, the Ethiopians fled from them. God gave grace to see the end result of this king's trust in him. And that is the blessing to you and me. God awaits my commitment, your commitment. He awaits our responses to these promises. He says, God is with you. This is what Azariah said, and I'm repeating this because it is of vital importance. God is with you while you are with him. If you seek God, he will be found of you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. He simply awaits your and my response. And so before Asa defeated uh, Zira, the Ethiopian, he proclaimed an exclusive relationship with God to the extent that he was assured of victory or, at a minimum, he was assured of the help of Jehovah. And my friends, this is the intrinsic component of an exclusive relationship with God. The devotee has the absolute divinely provided guarantee that God will come to your aid. Of this, there is no argument contradicting it. What follows was the overthrow of this army. And after this great victory, the Spirit of God, as we were told earlier in this podcast, came upon Azariah. And Azariah is about to verbalize the life lesson that this experience teaches And that is the lesson for you and me. Take Azariah's words and uh, summarize it, as he summarizes it for King Asa. And he gives that essence to you and me that we can know God's peace. The man of God is summarizing in two simple steps the way of peace, the manner of walking with God. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15, uh, Azariah goes on to say, For a long time uh, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But in their trouble they turned to Jehovah, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found of them. And so I want you to note that the nation was ignorant of God, ignorant of his ways, ignorant of his word. But they turned to him 
and they found him in the midst of their trouble. And this is noteworthy because many of us judge ourselves by some arbitrary standard, yet that is not the standard that the Spirit of God is using to evaluate us. We think that we have to measure up in our eyes before God, while God simply awaits that we turn to him with singleness of heart in the full assurance of faith that if we turn to him, he promises he will respond to us and prosper us in the midst of our trial. In Psalm, uh, uh, chapter, uh, the 50th Psalm, in the 15th verse says, uh, by Jehovah, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And so, <laughs> We come to as uh, King Asa's response, which I love. <laughs> and this is the, the, the final step in, a, in uh, appropriating God's peace. We are told that when King Asa heard the words of this prophecy, in verse 8, he took courage, he put away the abominations out of the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the city <laughs> uh, from Mount Ephraim, and they renewed the altar of Jehovah that was before the porch of Jehovah. And so we are often faced with a very simple choice. And that is, are we going to simply act upon what God has told us to do? This king took courage. He acted upon the basics of what he was told. Apparently, he was fearful of taking that initial step of walking with God in a complete way because it would necessitate making changes in the culture and making changes in uh, the domain that he had responsibility for. And sometimes when we make changes uh, around us, sometimes it rubs the people nearest to us. But the net effect was, <laughs> he began to make a difference, even in the northern kingdom, because they were defecting to him from the northern kingdom. When they saw that Jehovah his God was with him, they and the very strangers in the northern kingdom so people from the tribe of Manasseh and from Simeon, they fell away to King Asa. In other words, his life began to have influence. You see, we live in an age where people will get out into the streets with, with placards and, and they will pick it on the streets and, you know, they'll make noise. <laughs> they'll show by numbers, by force to make change. But we are seeing that this king and the two southern uh, tribes, Benjamin and Judah, made and had influence because they turned to God with all their hearts and they adhered to the covenant, the exclusive relationship that God had brought them into. And by doing this, this became attractive to the northern tribes and they began to defect to this king. And so his life had influence. And that is the net result of wholeheartedly turning to God.
My friends, many of us are interested in making cultural change, but it is not by advocating and agitating within the society that change comes. True change, godly change, comes when a man, <laughs> by fixing his heart to know the Lord, devotes himself to walking with God. And God makes his presence and power known and felt and effectual through the life of that person, but not independently of that person. It was like Jonah. Jonah reluctantly turned to God when he was swallowed by that great fish and regurgitated right up <laughs> on the shores of Nineveh. And then he says, 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And everyone turned, everyone repented from the king to the lowest man. They were covered in sackcloth. And so we can have influence on our culture by wholeheartedly turning to God. And so this brief encounter that this king had <laughs> becomes a lesson for you and me as we seek to walk with God beside still waters. What we need to do is very easy to do, and yet it requires diligence, perseverance, to continually resort to God in good times and bad times. It isn't a complex process, and it doesn't necessitate endless writing of books or reading of books it is a simple, continual turning of the heart to God, whether the circumstances are good or ill, and more so when trouble comes that we turn to him in complete reliance, repeatedly, based on his promise that when we call upon him in the day of our trouble, he will deliver us. O oh, Father in heaven, we ask of you that as your people turn repeatedly their hearts and minds and, and affections to you and calling upon you in the day of trouble that you would hear us and make your presence known and felt and your power evident. Oh God, fight for us as we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Besides the Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides still waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.